Hi, my name is Liz Worth, and you are listening to the Life of Tarot podcast, where we talk to people who make tarot and divination a part of their everyday lives. Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is Liz Worth, and I am here with Erin Fogel today. Erin is an astrologer, tarot reader, and founder of the band Queen of Swords. Welcome, Erin. Thank you. So happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I'm excited to chat. Um, so I'm curious because we're talking about esoteric practices, but also creative practices. What came first for you? Was it music or was it Mm -hmm. astrology and tarot and all of these other things? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I'm trying to think back because I think both of them were part of my life from the beginning in a way. Um, Uh, There was a lot of music in my home growing up and also a lot of stuff that in the 80s was still considered pretty weird. (laughs) Like my parents kept a tarot deck and um, they would go to like holotropic breath workshops and stuff and um, lots of lots of different like spiritual community work. Uh, And so some of those things were there from the beginning for me and, and both of my parents play music in their own way and and my brother too. So I think I grew up in both of those worlds. Um, But in terms of my own life and my own practice, I started playing music uh, pretty well before I started practicing any kind of esoteric work. I was in an art school um, as a teenager and then went on to play in a touring band for a little while in my early 20s and putting out records and stuff like that. So I got more involved in music before I dipped my toe a little more into the esoteric world after that. Mm. What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, At first, I wanted to be a ballerina, like when I was a lot younger. Uh, And I'm thankful that I'm not because for anyone who's been in the ballet world, it's a pretty tough environment. Um, And I love dance just for fun, but I'm happy to not be a professional dancer. And I was uh, quite focused on dance for a really long time as a younger person. And then I had a knee injury um, in my teenage years. And so I was kind of looking for something to do with all my creative energy when I couldn't dance for a little while, which is how I started getting more serious about music and playing in bands and stuff like that. So it it would have seemed ideal to me as a younger person to say, okay, I'm going to be a professional musician slash astrologer in a way, I guess that's, I guess that was my dream job. Um, but I, I really just wanted to do something that was working with people and something that was community building and was pretty open to different ways of doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What were some of the things that were influencing you creatively when you were growing up? Mm. It's a little hard to remember, like creative influences, early on in my life. Um, I know that later being in an art school became a big part of that. Like it's hard to think back before that, but once I was in an arts program, I think like grade six on or something like that until the end of high school, um, 
just the kids that I was around were really inspiring because everyone there was some kind of outsider in like a more quote unquote regular environment. So we were all just a bunch of weirdos that were trying to think about life critically and creatively. And so even just being in conversation with other creative kids when I was a bit younger, I think was something that ended up being really inspiring. And then a lot of my friends started playing in bands really young, like from the age of 16. So it was something that motivated me to start writing my own music. And at the time I was also receiving like a very classical theory and harmony training in music uh, and so when I discovered punk, it was really exciting for me as a way to kind of unlearn all of the structure of theory and harmony. And I was playing a lot of jazz music, which is like a very, very technical way of playing music. Um, so learning about punk and like the DIY community in Toronto and just seeing people play music in different ways really got me excited because I was like, oh, there's all these realms within music that don't have to follow these rules. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That would be so refreshing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It yeah. Refreshing is a good word for it because I didn't know a lot of what was out there until I started going to like all ages shows and seeing people play music in ways that I hadn't heard before and seeing people play music that was fantastic, who probably had no um, quote unquote technical background or, you know, hadn't gone to classes or anything like that, but had like learned to play their instrument in a way that was inherently creative and like open. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I find this so interesting because, um, yeah, I think with punk, it, it is often seen as a, a very DIY culture and sound and something loud and messy and minimal um and then jazz is is so different but I you know I actually enjoy both of them and I, I think in some circles you're not supposed to like both of them <laughs> totally. yes um, yeah but uh but I think that they both offer really different things uh, totally. And yeah, they do activate different aspects of someone's creativity as well, right? There are different constraints in both of them. Yeah, I kind of love that about both. Like they're two ends of the spectrum in a way, because with um, punk, there are very little rules and that's the point. Or there's a resistance of too much structure, too much organization, and that's part of the ethos of it. Uh, but with jazz and classical music, um, structure and organization are the ethos. And there's something really beautiful about that too. Ideally jazz is like, you take something that's highly technical and highly structured and then experience total freedom within that. Um, but a lot of the time that's not actually the case unless you are a total prodigy or a virtuoso and you have so much ear training that you can just kind of like roam free on a solo but it, it's actually like really hard to follow a lot of the time so I I like the juxtaposition of both like what you're saying that they, there's like value in both the freedom and the structure mm -hmm. it's interesting how you explain that because I actually think that 
divination is similar, right? Tarot and astrology, they have structure. And once you learn the structure, it gives you a lot of intuitive freedom as to how you want to work with those systems. But I find that for me, at least it was always easier once I really understood the constraints of tarot and the constraints of astrology, right? That this means this, but not that, for example, um, and really understanding how far you could take a symbol uh, and what the differences were within mm -hmm. uh, those, those practices as a symbolic language. It's that that was when I, I actually felt like my intuition was kicking in more than when I was just trying to wing it every time. And I don't know if you feel the same or if you notice that when you teach classes. Yeah, that's such a awesome analogy. I hadn't really thought about it that way before. There is a, a huge similarity where with jazz, when you say improvising, you think like, oh, someone is just playing whatever they want, but there are chord progressions happening. And so if you play certain notes, it's going to sound bad. <laughs> and so you might say, okay, there's, there's right and wrong notes that you can play, even though you're improvising. So the more technical your knowledge is and the more trained your ear is, then you can move with those chord progressions and follow the structure, but also have freedom within the notes that fit in harmony with that. And yeah, it is really similar with divination where I think if you do not have a strong technical foundation with what you're doing, it's too open-ended to try to give an accurate delineation because you could say anything. And so, okay, you could be like improvising with any note while you're giving a reading, but is it actually going to land? Is it going to be like a wrong note? Is it going to be something that resonates or is accurate for the person? So I find the same thing that over like many years of doing tarot and astrology, the stronger my technique is the deeper I can go in a reading and, and in that way, like the more freedom or the more space there is to really explore something. Cause you have like a strong understanding of what something can mean. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's an easy thing to push against, right? Because again, I think that sometimes when people hear about structure and rules, they think that that works against their intuition. Mm -hmm. And I think in punk, it's also similar where people sometimes think, well, if there's structure and rules, then it's going to impede my creativity. But sometimes it actually liberates your creativity because then you really know how to use the instrument that you're working with. And if you don't know how to use it, then there are a lot of pieces that you're missing. Completely agree. Yeah. And it is very similar where if you move into practice as a diviner, a, a divinator, what <laughs> I don't know what the word diviner. Yeah. That works. diviner. Yeah. yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, uh, like there are wrong things. There are things that you can say to someone that are not going to be accurate to the cards that you've pulled or the transit that's happening. And yet also within accurate interpretation, there's a huge spectrum of things that you could say. So I, I do think it's very similar in that having like some kind of foundation allows you the freedom to, 
to find things along that spectrum, but then there are going to be things outside of it that are just not resonant with what you're trying to do or in the same way that like, if you have not actually learned how to play chords on a guitar, it's going to be hard to create a song that feels satisfying or that feels accurate to what you're trying to convey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you were spending time in punk communities, uh, did you ever find it challenging to also express the spiritual side of yourself? Because sometimes punk can be very anti-spiritual, sometimes more leaning towards atheism. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a, there can be a coldness in punk at times, Mm -hmm. not across the board, but um, I think there are pockets there for sure that are, that make it a bit more challenging to be in spaces like this as well. Very much so. And there wasn't a lot of overlap between the two in my life. Um, I would say I'm like a, like a grown up punk to some extent now, and I still love punk music and go to shows and stuff like that, but I'm not as cemented in that world or in that culture as I was at a younger age. And at that time I kind of kept my spirituality secret because people were very open about their atheism in a very binary way, which always kind of confused me because it seemed against the nature of punk to me to be so rigid about something. Um, But I did find that a lot of the anarchists I came across were actually like very rigid. And I was like, well, what kind of anarchist is this? You know, like (laughs) I thought we're supposed to be trying to, um, obliterate like the really rigid ways that we look at reality. And so I I kept a lot of my spirituality private. And then in a way it was like coming out of the closet when I started practicing astrology and tarot publicly and working with people. Um, And I lost a lot of friends because people were like, what is this? Like, what are you doing? And in their mind, it was something that was like, an indoctrination or like some kind of religion, like there was a misunderstanding of what it was for me. And then as I got a little bit older and um, leaned into some of my activism as well, I started to see some of that mentality as part of a type of colonial framework that a lot of people inherit. Like the rejection of spirituality is to me, a colonial mind frame um, because so much of spirituality comes from indigenous and African culture and um, that way of being in relationship with earth and cosmos and our larger ecosystem is something that is really inherent to a lot of traditional communities. And so I find the rejection, like that sort of inherent rejection of it to be something that is um, yeah, part of like a sort of dominator culture. Mm, that's so interesting. Um, especially when you think about it from the context of something like punk, because punk always thinks that it is rebellious, but it's mm-hmm. not always as rebellious as I think people are assuming it to be. Exactly. I, I think the initial energy of it and the impulse of it 
was rebellious and can be rebellious, but like many things that are in reaction to something, then it becomes dogmatic in its own way where it's like, okay, we're everything that's not that, which means then you have to form all these really tight definitions of what is punk or what is, you know, whatever you're adhering to. So I I ended up finding it really restrictive in the end, which is like, I think counter to the ethos of it. And that's not an across the board thing. There were a lot of people within the community that might feel very similarly or were approaching it in their own way, but the kind of structure of it ended up feeling rigid to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm always surprised at how much that community seems to uh, turn its it's back on practices like tarot and astrology and the cult, the occult, because there is some crossover, but yeah, it's very small, I find. Um, but I, you know, I always tell people like becoming a professional diviner is choosing to be an outsider. And that is a very punk rock thing to do, mm-hmm. I think, because there's a lot of, you know, a lot of aspects of the mainstream that will look at you when you choose this kind of path and um, make a lot of assumptions about you. And it's not necessarily an easily socially acceptable thing to do, even though uh, I think from the inside in this industry, it seems common and very popular and you can be successful in this world and have people really enjoy your work. Um, but again, from the outside, for a lot of people, this is very much like an outsider or an outlier thing to do. Completely agree. Yeah. I mean, it is punk to be a witch. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's something that like comes from the margins and it's something that gives power to people who may otherwise not experience a lot of power in their life or have had power revoked from them. Like it is something that is for the marginalized and oppressed, and it is a form of resistance. So it is fascinating to me that it's not like, not just like tolerated, but actually celebrated within punk culture. And maybe some of that is changing. I think people are a little more embracing of the umbrella of witchcraft and everything that that contains than they were say like 15 years ago, which is sort of the time period that I'm thinking of in my own life. But yeah, it's, it's a very similar thing to what punk is trying to do. Mm-hmm. You were going to study jazz in university, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had gotten accepted into the jazz program at U of T. And then I took a left at the last minute. And (laughs) in my mind, I was like, oh, this is not practical. I'll never make money as a jazz musician. And then I (laughs) did my bachelor in philosophy, which I'm not really sure had more for me in the way of income, but um, I was really uh, involved in the creative writing scene at that time. And University of Toronto does not have a creative writing program. So in my mind, I was trying to approach creative writing from a philosophical perspective. So that was why I switched. But so I never ended up going to university for jazz. Okay. Um, I, I find it again, interesting because yeah, I think like the path you've chosen uh, can feel like a risk, right? To mm-hmm. decide you're going to start a business doing readings. Uh, and 
it's not, yeah, it's a different, you know, you're working in different modality completely if you choose a path of being a jazz musician or any type of musician, but I think there's risks to both really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Highly risky. And to your question of like, what did you want to be when you grew up or like, what, what did you think you were going to do? I just never, I tried really hard to picture myself in something traditional and I just could never even picture it. Like I couldn't even picture myself becoming a lawyer unless it was like hardcore environmental law or like something really fringe like that. Like even the traditional jobs, I was like, well, I would be this version of it. Like something that was still kind of outside the usual way of doing it. And so it just, I feel very fortunate in how things unfolded that I had the opportunities that I had to follow something that really spoke to me at a young age, because at 23, I didn't really think too much about whether it was going to work out for me to be a professional diviner. <laughs> and now in my mid thirties, I might think about that more critically if I were going to try to take a leap like that. Like it was helpful, I think, to initiate my practice at an age where I was, you know, more hopeful and dreamy and like not thinking too much about the nuts and bolts of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I could see that. Right. Cause also when you're, you know, when we're in our twenties, we can feel so idealistic and that idealism feels feverish. Mm-hmm. in a, a lot of ways it's like it's just all consuming um and it can feel a lot easier to take a leap like that yeah totally and i'm also an aquarius so i think that's just sort of how i work like i'll i'll do something because it makes sense ideologically and will disregard the pragmatic details like you know the rent and the food will come later. <laughs> and I'd, I'd rather just do this if, if it fits with like my ideology around it. But there was no way of saying whether it was going to work out. So in that sense, I feel very fortunate that it's, you know, been a successful endeavor. Um, it, it could not have been. And I, I think it, it can go both ways for people to try to start a business. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and again, you know, I think any path, if it's a creative path or a spiritual path um, to do these things professionally, yeah, there's, there is a lot of risk involved because, and you have to be all in, right. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And, and be willing to, to do it for the long term to really see if it can work for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It takes an incredible amount of persistence and also, as you, as you know, with both astrology and tarot, like continued study, like they're not, neither of those modalities are something that, you know, you do one course or program and then you're finished. Like it's a lifelong study. And I think that fuels a developing practice as well as like having our own study and, and like continued deepening and learning of the practice because, that brings in new people, but it also brings in new ways of working with people who have been there for years, you know, clients of mine that I've been working with for years and years, as I learn, then there's so much more for us to talk about rather than the same framework that we might've been working with that whole time. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you also still do music. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's kind of like uh, come in phases for me. I think a lot of that probably has to do with the pragmatic piece. Um, music has not always been a huge income source for me. So it just depends on how much space I have for it to be feasible to, to bring that more to the foreground. But um, I, I set it aside for a little bit, like when I was first developing my practice and I was just like diving headfirst into that work and, and wanted to give it everything I had. So I stepped back from music for a few years. And then this project that I have now, Queen of Swords, I started in 2016 or 2017-ish, I believe, um, and put out a record then. Um, And then I just put out another record in June for the first time in a while. So as you can see, it's been a little in the background, but also several years of that were pandemic related. So it, it's been a, a strange time in the last few years for music, obviously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you feel sometimes like your, your spiritual work overshadows the creative work? I think when it comes to income, it's, it's a very simple yes, because my spiritual work is my income, but I also in my heart, see them as the same thing. Um, Like music is very much spiritual work to me. And spiritual client work is very much creative work. So like, when I'm doing one, or I'm doing the other, for me personally, it, it fulfills the same thing. Although I think I would really miss it if if either of them dropped out of my life like it it, it's meaningful to have both but I feel like they come from the same place in a way Mm -hmm. um yeah I find that I find that really interesting um because I think like right now for the way business works online these days and so many of us rely on on online to uh, promote ourselves is that you have to really be in on one thing, right? Everything is so specified. And if you have a presence on social media, it's really hard to talk about different things. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're, if you need to market your work and um, I don't think that people really understand or know that it, who are not using social media for marketing or promotion, but it's very difficult to sometimes, as much as we might want to hold space for duality in what we're doing, right, as practitioners, um, I think that the way things are set up right now work against us to have that duality because everything is so singular. hmm Yes. And on this topic, I'm probably not the best uh, business authority because I I just post whatever about whatever's happening at that particular time. And I know that that's not necessarily the best thing to do. And there are people who have separate accounts for different initiatives, or they're really clear about their voice on each platform and the kind of information that they're sharing and the way they share information. And I admire that so much, but I, 
like social media is already such an afterthought for me or like something that I do out of necessity that I simply do not have the wherewithal to (laughs) organize my online presence in that way. So I end up just, I don't know, chaotically posting about whatever is most pressing at that time. And I'm aware that, um, That might be great for some people who are looking and listening and not so great for others because there's going to be people that are there because they enjoy astrology content. And then there's going to be people that are there because they want music content and they may or may not want the other thing that they're getting half the time. So I don't think my approach is necessarily the best, but like you're saying, it's so hard to understand how to navigate that when you have many things that speak to you. Yeah. And I think it's hard too, when you're already trying to run a business and create outside of that, right? You only have so much time and energy to go around. And as a creative person, you can look at the energy that goes into building a social media following, or you could look at the energy that goes into writing an album or writing a book or creating whatever. And Sometimes you're like, I'd, I'd rather keep that energy for my creative practice. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That That's kind of how I think of social media is that it uses a lot of energy. And um, a lot of the people that I know who do very well in their social media following invest a tremendous amount of creative energy into it in producing content and sharing their knowledge and, you know, sharing music and and making beautiful videos just for their social media. And I admire that so much, but I guess some of this relates to me just being an inherently like private kind of person. Um, And it's how I've always been with my spiritual practice as well, where if, when I have an exciting, okay, like the Venus retrograde, for instance, that just started, um, I've had so many huge thoughts about it and seen so many friends like sharing a lot of like really profound content on their social media about the Venus retrograde. And then I get tempted to like chime in on that conversation. But I also was hosting a workshop with my teacher, Julie, on the retrograde. And so the private person in me is like, I would rather kind of cherish these thoughts and share them with the people that are going to be in that workshop space, because then otherwise, what's the point of having the workshop if I'm also sharing all of this in a, in a public way. So I try to have some kind of balance where I also like participating in the conversations that are happening um, and talking about astrology and tarot with other practitioners and then sharing some of my perspective on it. But for the most part, I really just like talking about that stuff with people who come to see me on their own. Like that's where the real juice is. Otherwise, I'm just shouting into a void. <laughs> so mm. I think some of it is just my personality, but I know it's something that you've thought a lot about in your own practice too, because you have so many modalities that you work with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do find I yes, I, I think about these things too. And I think um yeah, these things are, are quite challenging. I think running a business in general is challenging for anyone who's also trying to be an artist because mm-hmm. business takes up a lot of creative energy itself. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, having clients and putting, you know, that takes a lot of energy, right? And we put so much into our client work and writing a workshop is creative energy and 
showing up and all, you know, all of these things, um, I think really pull from the same place that art comes from. Mm-hmm. It is very creative. And even just like, I, I sometimes think about the notion of creativity as making something that wasn't there yet, <laughs> which is what you're doing when you create an album or a book, but it's also what you're doing when you're generating content or creating a workshop or having a really deep conversation with a client, like all of that is creative because you're putting forward some perspective or some way of engaging with the world that wasn't there until you did it. So it it does all feel like it comes from the same place, but um, I do find that some people are there for different reasons, you know, like some, some people will want pieces of music or pieces of your writing work. And some people are going to want tarot related things. And, and that's one of the tricky things to navigate. But in my mind, I'm like, that's okay. Someone can just unfollow me if they don't like it. Um, I'm going to ask a really typical question, which is how do you find time for both? How do you find time for your business and your art? Mm. Um, I'm a little more big picture with this than some people, because I'll go in phases with things. Uh, my business is always there. Like to, to some extent, it's always gonna, I'm always going to be working like at least, 20, 25 hours a week on client work and the stuff that comes out of it. Um, And then sometimes it's more than that. And sometimes it's just sort of sitting at that line. Um, But the creative work comes more in phases with me. Uh, For instance, like the album that I just put out over the last several months, I've been investing like a tremendous amount of energy in the prep work for that and then in launching it. And now we're working on some small tours. So albums tend to work in cycles, which means there are going to be like down periods or hopefully there are down periods after some people are a little more productive with it. Um, And then, you know, when I hopefully move into a writing and recording phase for the next record, then that's going to be another phase of output. So I kind of work with it like that, where I'm like, okay, this next six to eight month period, I'm focusing on this. And so I'm going to pull back a little bit on this. Or right now I'm working on a ton of workshops and maybe creating a course. So I'm going to push that more to the foreground and focus on that a little bit. And then from there, the day-to-day kind of organizes itself. So I'll usually start with like the bigger picture of what I'm doing over the next chapter. And then when I sit down to like do in the morning, then I know all the things that are most pressing or that I have to do from there. And my client schedule is um, usually set a few weeks in advance anyways, because I have like an online scheduling system. So that's kind of set up for me. So that's what works best for me because then I find it it helps me prioritize what I actually need to do in the little like windows of my day where it's like, okay, what do I do next? Or what am I working on right now? And I'm like, oh, right, this is coming up next. So I'm going to focus on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that sounds so structured and it makes a lot of sense. It, it also sounds like the way 
you know, that's often how, how good businesses are organized, right? You're looking at things in chunks and you're prioritizing what's coming up first, but you're also prioritizing the big stuff, right? What mm-hmm. is it that is most important rather than getting lost in all the little details that yeah. may not be as necessary as they feel sometimes? Exactly. Yeah. And it took me, this is also something that took me like years and years to sort out for myself because at first, I really enjoyed the spontaneous timeline of everything and I I wouldn't structure my weeks very clearly and I was really enjoying that and I'd be like oh today I'm gonna like work in the evening instead because I want to do this thing during the day or or I'll work through the weekend because I want to do this on Monday like that kind of thing and then as I got busier over the years I could easily just end up working 80 hours a week without realizing it so part of the structure has also come from saying to myself I don't work more than 40 hours a week, 50 at the maximum if I need to. And I try to keep that to like a Monday to Friday, nine to five structure. And that's helped me a lot because then I've learned how to say, oh no, I can't take that new project on because I'm already working this much. If I add something else, I'm going to be working through my weekend. And just to, it took me years to understand how to gauge the time that it would take to (laughs) execute the things that I was saying yes to, because I was so excited about all these different projects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As you're saying that I hear again, like all the, the punk, the punk people being like nine to five. Yeah. You're (laughs) self-employed. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Which is probably why at first I was like, F that I'm just going to like do whatever. And, and then I was like, oh, this is actually really tiring. And I like structure because then I know where my freedom is. Um, and it, it's helpful from a planning perspective. Like when I was recording the album that I just put out, we actually recorded it over an eight month period of time because I was working a lot with clients. And I also was working on a music festival that um, I've stepped back from. And so I knew that my workload was really high and it would be really difficult to take off three consecutive weeks to like go into a studio and record a record. So we ended up going up like one or two days out of the month because that felt sustainable and manageable as like days out of my kind of rhythm that I had of the things that were like supporting my income. So it it helps me from that perspective too, where I'm like, okay, well, I want to do this thing. Um, but I also don't want to let slide all the important commitments that are supporting me right now. So I'm going to stretch it out in this way because that's, what's feasible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and yeah, and again, I think sometimes people think of creativity as very unstructured and similar to intuition, something that just happens spontaneously or that's purely organic, but without structure, things don't really get done. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a, you know, it's a hard truth that we have to accept, but totally. yeah, I think sometimes if we want to succeed on any path, we really need to figure out these things, right. These small details, like how do we manage our time? How long does a task take to complete? How much mm-hmm. energy do you need to do it? Uh, what do you need to manage outside of that so that you're not 
overextending yourself in other ways to the point where you can't focus on this thing that you're trying to do. Exactly. Yeah. I think when I was younger, I very much had an idea of full-time creative people as just having these like completely open-ended lives. And then whenever the strike of lightning genius comes to you, then you can like rush to your guitar, your computer and, and let it come through you until it's done. And like some, some good conversations with my first writing mentor, Jeff Parker, he was like, I hate to tell you, but this is, that's like the opposite of how it works. He's like, most of the time being a writer is forcing yourself to sit at the computer for eight hours and produce something, anything, even if you really don't want to do anything at that time or being like, okay, I'm going to sit here until I've written five pages and I'm not going to let myself get up until I've done that. Like it, it is a lot of, uh, um, I find there's a certain amount of like self pressuring involved, but like not in a bad way, just having the persistence to do something when you don't feel inspired and knowing that not all creative work is going to come from like a huge stroke of lightning genius feeling just some of it will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it does. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how you feel about this, but you know, when you are creating, when you're writing a song or you have an idea for a piece of music, where is it coming from for you? A few places. Um, for me, I think either I've been like fiddling with something on the guitar for a while. So I have like a guitar part that kind of starts it, or there's like a piece of writing that I've been working on. And then that kind of initiates some lyrics or I hear a melody in my head. Like those are usually the three ways, but one of them will usually come through with ease. Like either I'll have like a melody idea or some cool lyrics or like a guitar part that I like. And then the other two, I have to be persistent with to like fill in the blanks and kind of work at, okay, this is, this is really great, but like, what do I want to make this song about? Or like, what, what am I trying to say? Or like, oh, that melody is not working. I need to rework it. So a part of it usually feels like it it comes with a lot of ease or has that like really lovely creative flow. And then the rest of it, I'll usually need to be a bit persistent with. It's just different every time what that is. And then on the really beautiful, rare occasion, there's something that just takes me, it's like, I'll write it in like 20 minutes and then it's done. And that's the best feeling, but (laughs) not everything is like that. (laughs) Does astrology influence your songwriting at all? Weirdly, not that much. Um, When I first started studying astrology, because I was already a musician, I got really excited about the idea of like, writing songs for the planets or, you know, like writing things through an astrological lens. And I I couldn't find a way to do it. That sounded good to me. Like it just came out cheesy or a little too heavy handed or something. And I've seen versions of it done beautifully. Like Sophia and Stevens has an album about the planets and they each sound in a way like the like the Saturn song is like so intense it really sounds like the planets and I think he did such a beautiful job with that but I just couldn't make it work for some reason and so the only way that I use astrology at this point with my music um 
is to to use elections or or to plan the the timing of releases astrologically um but who knows maybe one day i'll write a song about the moon or something that doesn't sound cliche (laughs) (laughs) um you know, just hearing about your life experience and all the things that you've studied and done, um, you know, it brings me back to a question that I, I like to ask spiritual practitioners, which is that there's this idea, again, out, I think often out in the mainstream that things like tarot and astrology and magic, esotericism, that these are anti-intellectual practices. Mm. And so I'm wondering what you say to people who believe that. Oh, oh. there are a few things that come to mind. Uh, One of them is that there are two halves of our brain. And what most people consider intellectual is left brain theory or left brain use, um, which is like our, our rational cognitive mind and i think we live in a world that like highly 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 preferences uh highly prefers left brain experience and then there's the right brain which is like the sensing feeling intuitive creative brain uh so for me the best kind of esoteric work is um an integration of left and right brain, which is kind of what we were saying earlier, that there's structure and technique and really grounded wisdom there, but that allows for like a really um, deep intuitive space. Um, So there's that aspect of it where I think people who consider esoteric work to be anti-rational are only looking at it through a left brain framework. Um, But it's also usually people who don't know much about the practice because there are probably people out there who, I mean, I know there are people out there who practice astrology and tarot, like just purely from an intuitive place. But for me, that's missing a lot of the tradition and a lot of the available wisdom that's there. Like astrology is highly technical like highly technical and I don't even feel half the time that I have enough of a technical brain for it like it's very analytical it's very um logic based like there's a lot of really uh finicky analytical information that's involved in it so it's there. It's just, if you don't know much about the practice, or if you've only seen it used in a particular way, you might miss that. Um, And I also used to like, kind of take offense to that perspective. But at this point, like, I don't really mind, you know, people have their own perspective on things. And um, I think if you've ever had a really good reading from a diviner, you know that there's a lot more than just intuition happening there um, because the person will be able to give you extremely accurate information about your life without knowing anything about you um, just based on the skills that they've developed. Uh, So it is, to me, it's both highly rational and highly creative, intuitive. Um, It's just that, yeah, a lot of the time, I think that it's misperceived from the outside. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like um brings us back to the beginning of our conversation 
around, you know, talking about jazz, right? And Mm -hmm. I think even if, you know, you don't understand a lot about jazz music or music at all, and you hear certain jazz, you think it's someone just making a lot of noise and kind Mm -hmm. of doing whatever, right? Because sometimes Mm -hmm. that's how it sounds. uh, And it sounds very free flowing and unstructured, but it's not, it's very technical. That's a perfect analogy. Yeah. Because hearing that jazz is improvised might make you think, oh, okay. So that person is just like playing whatever, and they're just playing a bunch of random notes. But if you know anything about jazz, you, you know, how much theory you need as a foundation to be able to hear a song or, or look at a sheet full of chord changes and know what's going to sound good over top of that. So it it's, yeah, it's a very similar thing. It's like, you need the technique there so you can work with it in a more like spacious, creative way. Mm. Yeah. Astrology is jazz of the divination world. I don't know. <laughs> yes, it's exactly. This is my takeaway from our conversation. Yes. Astrology, the jazz of esoterica. <laughs> Well, Erin, it's been amazing to talk to you. I think that we could probably, I I could ask you a million more questions. um, So we'll have to do this again at some point. (laughs) Uh, But before we wrap up, uh, let everyone know where they can find you and your work and your music. Yeah. So my client-based website where I put all of my session availability and workshops is erinfogel.com. And for my music, you can find me at queenofswords.org. And I'm on Instagram at Queen of Swords Band or Twitter, Queen of Swords with a underscore after the U. <laughs> so yeah, I'm online. I've told you all about my uh, chaotic online practices. So do with that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Erin. And thanks so much to everyone for tuning in. We will talk to you again soon. You've been listening to the Life of Tarot podcast hosted by Liz Worth. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about tarot, please join me over at my website at lizworth.com. Thanks again and hope to talk to you again soon.